the sacrifice, and he had to keep the foul of the air away from the sacrifices. And I thought of him instantly, you know. He, sometimes you've got to keep the fouls of the air away. <laughs> oh, But we're going to talk about here, starting this morning, God's revelation of himself. How many of you have ever heard the... I don't, I don't, I don't know if they even do it anymore since uh, Paul Harvey passed away, but how many of you ever heard the story that he always told around Christmas time? Uh, if you ever heard his, it's been, I guess for years, he told this particular story. If you haven't, I'm going to tell you uh, that story here. And it's, just, it's so good. Uh, he always told this on uh, Paul Harvey News and Comment. And uh, it, it, briefly, the story tells of a, an unbelieving husband and father who stayed behind on Christmas Eve while his family attended the annual Christmas Eve service. And and uh, he, was a, he was a good man. He, he was a loving husband, a father. He was a real generous neighbor. But he just could not wrap his mind around God incarnating himself for mankind's redemption. He could not handle, he could not wrap his mind, he could not believe that. So the story goes on to tell of a winter storm that suddenly blew in that evening. He said he didn't pay it much attention until a, a flock of sparrows caught in the, in the sudden winter storm began flying into his large picture window. They were trying to escape the, the fury of the storm. And he's a kind man, and so he thought he would try to help them escape their plight. So he dressed warmly, went out into the storm, and opened wide the barn doors. Then he backed off to wait, but the birds didn't take the cue. They just wouldn't come in. They continued to huddle together out in the storm. And so when it seemed clear that they wouldn't enter the barn on their own, he began trying to entice them in. And when that failed, he finally, in desperation, he went out and tried to drive them in. Well, that just stirred them all up and didn't help a bit. They just wouldn't go into that place of shelter. Now, as this man pondered his dilemma, he thought this thought. He said, I'm only trying to help them, but they are afraid of me. They don't understand that my intentions for them are good. How can I communicate to them that I only want to help them? If only I could become a bird like them, then they would understand. And suddenly, at the very moment he had that thought in the distance, he heard the, the midnight church bells toll. And he said, for the first time, he understood the message of redemption. If God could only become a man, which he did, then man could understand. And I think every one of us in here can understand that, that particular story. How, and I've said this many times, and I, I will stand with this until the day that I die. If my God had not came and felt what I feel, I could never serve him. But because he understands what I go through every day, I can serve him and know that there's hope for me, that I don't have to, I, I don't have to go through this alone. Aren't you glad you know him? Give him a good hand. In Exodus, the third chapter, verses 1 through 6, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, 
And behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now, now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw nigh, not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of, God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. You may be seated. And we're going to look at the, the revelations of God as it progresses throughout the Bible, all the way up into the Incarnation. And uh, it's, it's, it's really, it's really eye-opening if you begin to understand how God tried to, or did, didn't really try, but did reveal himself to man in the different ways. And then today, we're going to talk about how he revealed himself through fire. Uh, I, I think if we go back... Uh, sometimes it's so hard, to, again, you, you think of this man trying to wrap his mind around the Incarnation. It's hard sometimes for, for us to wrap our mind around a time when there was no earth, no, no heaven, no nothing. That God just existed alone in all this vast eternity. He was just there, alone. And so uh, in, in, the, in the process of time, he decided to create. So he created an immense and a, and a splendid universe that still, folks, I don't care what you, you think, what you believe, you need to get your mind around this, that the universe that we see exists inside of God. So all the immensity that you see when you look up at the stars at night, understand that there is this exists in God. That's how big God really is. So he, he creates the universe, millions of galaxies and, and drifting stars and orbiting planets. Not only has he created the cosmos, but he maintains every function of the cosmos. The heavenly bodies emit light and follow their courses. Animals obey their natural instincts and plant life flourishes. The natural world comes from God and witnesses not only to his existence, but to his ever-abiding presence. He's always there maintaining and being sure that all of this works. God ordained a higher level of existence for humankind. A, a fact that's made evident when God formed man from the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And from the beginning, humans have been special creations and we live in a higher dimension than other biological creatures. Now, it, with that simple fact, that simple fact, if humankind lives in a higher dimension than all the other life that is around us, then why can't we believe that we can live in a higher dimension of spirituality? The very fact that we live above animal life, the very fact that we live above plant life, why can't we live higher in a, spiritual, in a spirituality or a spiritual nature? Uh, through the years, uh, I, I've seen people, and you've heard me talk about, about them before, and I've seen how they've been treated. And it's a sad state because T.W. Barnes, everybody's heard, of course, Lee Stone King's this way, Kenneth Reeves that we had preach here years and years ago. You know, talking to them, th these men talked a different language. And sitting and talking to them, you, would, you, you were not in your, your... They were completely what some people would call out there. And in reality, they were out there, but not in a bad way. They were out there. They were in a different place. 
and they talked in a different place. But, you know, you have men like T.W. Barnes, a lot of us don't, don't realize that before he passed away, his church kicked him out. Because they didn't want spirituality, they wanted a social life. Kenneth Reeves was run down and run down by other ministers because of the fact that he saw angels and dealt in that, in that realm. Do you understand what I'm saying? I, I, I don't know why I'm going this way, but I'm going this way for a purpose. I, I, I'm saying that, yes, you have to stop and think, what do you want? Do you really want to cross the Jordan into that place of promises? Because you will talk in a different way. You will be a different way. You will react differently. And I see that happening. I see that coming. I'd like to, we, we've been in a, we have, you know, we, we kind of went through a, a time when we weren't really battling, and we're kind of back in the middle of a battle again. I think we're going to be coming, I don't think it, I know we're going to be coming out of that battle. But in the essence of coming out of it, there's going to be some people that are going to cross over, and you're going to begin to understand, see, and think things that you've never seen or thought before. But are you ready for the criticism that's going to occur when you do? Are you ready for that? I, uh, I never have, since day one that I received the Holy Ghost, believed that this was just a way of living. I do live this way, and I believe in living this way. But I believe there was more to it than this. I didn't get saved just so that I wouldn't walk around uh, with a muscle shirt on. You understand? And I hope the ladies didn't get saved just so they would wear skirts. I hope that they desire to go beyond... Not letting go of what they have. We don't let go of what we got to go somewhere else. We take it with us because that's the only thing that's going to motivate us to go further. If I have that, and, I, and that's the problem, you see, that's why we stand away from it. We look at people who say they're spiritual and they look like the world. So we say if being, being spiritual means I've got to go back to that, then I don't want to be spiritual. That's a lie from the pits of hell. That's what the devil has done to stop us. My God, how did I get into that? I'm talking about creation in a higher level. That's what I was doing. You know, we are. Over the time, God has revealed himself. And I, I, and I look at this, the revelation. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. When God revealed Himself throughout, we're going to see it incrementally. You know, He, little bit, little, little by little, here a little, there a little, with stammering lips and other tongue while I speak to this people. We talk about Isaiah spoke these words. And, 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 you know, it's precept upon precept. That's how He had to, to, to show Himself to us. And, and I believe in mankind that, that we have, that we have, at the beginning, when the Holy Ghost fell on, on some of our, our, our forefathers, if you would, uh, back in the early 1900s, when they fell on them, these people automatically walked into it because there was never anything like that before. So they didn't have anything to compare it to. But you see, now we have things to compare it to. You know, I got the Holy Ghost. Do I act like Bob? Do I act like Greg? Do I act like Keith? Do I act, do, you know, how about us acting like Jesus? Not that you guys are acting wrong. You see what I'm saying? We have nothing to compare to. My, my great aunt, when she talked about it, she got the Holy Ghost. I'll never forget. She said she, she sought and she sought and she sought for the Holy Ghost. And she said she was in her bed one night and she said I was just weeping. And she said I, I just 
just simply could not get there. She said, I could not get there. And she said, all of a sudden, she said, I was weeping so hard. I looked over in the corner and she said, it was like someone was pulling a curtain back and I began to see the feet of Jesus. And she said, it was pulling up. And she said, I began to see his, 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 uh, his clothing. And she said, it goes further and further up. She said, I could see his chest. And she said, it got to right to his neck like this curtain was being pulled up. And she said, I knew it was Jesus. And she said, I, I yelled out. She said, no, I can't see his face. And she said, instantly, I began to speak in tongues this was her when she received the holy ghost how many of us have received the holy ghost like that not that it's it's any less i'm not trying to lessen it but i'm saying this was brand new and she had to break through the barriers of her own mind and the denominationalism that she was used to are we going to have to break through pentecostalism Are we going to have to break through it? Because we have we decided it's got to be a certain way. I, I know that he's got some ideas and things that he's learned about the cell groups. We have got to, and I don't want people killing themselves, but I do know that this is a way to reach people and people having the same experiences that we have heard in times past in homes. Are you getting, understanding what I'm saying? I'm trying to get us out of a ditch and into something that is better. I wish you could feel what I feel. I wish you could. I, I, I don't know. I really, I can be honest, I don't know how to do it, but that's the whole thing. I don't need to know how. Because when I start putting my mind into this, and it's when things start getting messed up. Let's look a little bit further. You uh, considering, again, let's the, the, look at the... the the largeness, if I can put it that way, of God. You, you consider the, the vastness of the universe. It's, it's variety, it's complexity, it's interdependence, it's balance, it's symmetry, it's beauty, and it's mystery. And, and you look at all that, it compels you to believe. And when you see it all and you realize the wonder and, the, and, and you're a part of all that, when you see the, the vastness, when you see the symmetry, when you see it, you're a part of all that. You see it through creation, through the interdependent solar system of which the earth is a part. God prepared a, a unique habitat governed by natural laws in which mankind can live and thrive. The seasons, the regeneration water cycle, the, the atmosphere, the vegetation reveal the grandiose superiority of God. You're a part of that. Humankind itself reveals God by reflecting His image. Although limited, we possess many godlike attributes. And even though they all fall short of God's perfect model, uh, life, our personality, our wisdom, our capacity to perceive truth, capacity to love, the ability to achieve holiness, and the ability to determine justice, God gave humankind freedom within set boundaries. And that revealed His desire for obedience. We're a part of that. And that, last part that I just gave you, gives us the reason that too many of you stay put in the same position. Because there is a part of that that re God gave us parameters. I will never believe that true standards of holiness is a real restriction. I, I don't. I believe it is a blessing. It's a blessing. It's not a restriction. 
I believe obedience to God goes way beyond that. I see what we do is use that. I'm doing good because I'm looking this way. That is what you were saved. This is a part of your image. But the, the, the fact of obedience goes beyond that. It's being listening to God when God speaks to you. It's, it's, it's understanding, having faith that you can hear His voice. It's, it's knowing that when you hear something, it's being preached like it's being preached or taught this morning, that God is trying to speak something into your spirit and opening yourself up to receive it. That's obedience. I don't think you got that, but it's all right. You'll get it eventually. You know, and, and, and we do fall short in a lot of areas. And God gave humankind freedom within those boundaries. And God gave Adam a helpmate, revealing his desire for relationships. God's response to the fall revealed his demand for accountability and the execution of punishment toward the disobedient. Ultimately, the fall revealed God's mercy. Even in the fall of mankind, when you're messed up and you do something wrong, and there is some accountability that comes in, God shows you mercy. Because the very fact that you could be in the Old Testament stoned to death for some of the things that we do. But God shows mercy. And we can see some of, of, of God's revelation through the call of Abraham. And 2,000 years after the fall, God called Abram from Mesopotamia and gave him many promises, including the land of Canaan as a home for the Hebrew people in Genesis 15. This call initiated an intimate bond between God and His people. Inherent in that bond was the principle of faith in God's promises as a requirement for inheriting the promises and the rewards in store for the faithful. So faith comes into action in the call of Abraham. Faith in the promises that God has given us. I can inherit these promises by faith. He was an early image of what we have today. That's what Abraham was. And so we can have and we can, we can be faithful to God and we can see some of this happen. We can live for God. I, I, again, if, if, if a person can ever learn to really flow in what you have, if we can just live, learn to flow and not make a battle of living right. Okay, you see, not making a battle. We make a battle of living right. We create problems for the church and ourselves because we're trying to make a battle out of something we shouldn't be battling. You're not fighting the devil when you're fighting living right. You're fighting yourself. You need to save spiritual energy to fight the devil to get where you want to go. Now, maybe I'm above. Maybe I'm getting beyond some of you on some of this. But I'm saying there's some of you that can pick this up. Just do it. Just, just simply do what you know is right and don't make a battle out of it. Let's look at some of the revealed names of God through Revelation, through the Old Testament. Because he promised, after God promised to make Abram the father of the multitude, God changed Abram's name to Abraham, which is father of a multitude. Uh, the names became a communication tool, a useful way for God to reveal himself to humankind. He called himself, I am the Almighty God, or El Shaddai, meaning the Abundant One. In Genesis 17, 28, 35, 43, 48, and 49. So with many compound names, he revealed his nature and character. So gradually, incrementally, we begin to see God as reveals to creation, through the, uh, through the creation of mankind, through the creation of the cosmos. All of this, we see this beginning come. 
now he's showing something else. He's showing himself and his character through some of the compound names. Jehovah Jireh, Genesis 22. The Lord will provide a sacrifice. Every time they said Jehovah Jireh, they're saying God will provide a sacrifice, reaching all the way from there to the incarnation, thousands of years in the future. Reaching by that one name. He also called himself Jehovah Rapha. Exodus fifteen twenty six. The Lord is our healer. Again, reaching from thousand years into the future. This is what God can do for you. You understand what I'm saying? All of these things that I'm giving you is wrapped up in one name. And the name of Jesus. Don't ever. We're a part of that. We're a part of that. Jehovah Nisi, Exodus 17, the Lord our banner. Jehovah Shalom, Judges 6, the Lord our peace. Jehovah Ra, Psalm 23, the Lord our shepherd. Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. In Jeremiah 23, Jehovah Shema, Ezekiel 48, the Lord is present. Today's lesson involves God's self-revelation by fire. Now, we've talked about all that, but He is revealing Himself by fire in this particular lesson. This is the combustive energy the humankind has used since the beginning. Archaeologists have found evidence of fire in the earliest civilizations. For thousands of years, people used fire to cook food, provide heat, give light, and to communicate with one another. They used fire for religious sacrifices, cremations, and ceremonial bonfires. And although its use has, was widespread, fire remained a mystery. For thousands of years, it was a mystery. Think about it. Ancient people had not yet discovered the science behind what makes fire work. The complex chemistry of combustion of fuel and oxygen that, that produces heat and light. Yet fire ignited the imagination and aroused curiosity. People never lost their fascination. Flickering yellow flames, raising, rising sparks. You folks still love it today. You sit around a campfire and you're fascinated. They even got things you put on your computer. It looks like a fire. Didn't work. I tried it. Could not get one bit of heat out of it. I mean, people are fascinated by it. You have your bone, I mean, bonfires. Bonfires. You remember that? You're going to be hearing about that. You know, I'm going to be gone during that. I forgot. I'm going to be in, uh, I'm going to be in Colorado dancing around a campfire after elk. I'm going on an elk hunt. Um, I don't know what I'm going to do. I have to do that earlier. Let Adam do it. There are some people who come just for that. that, 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 that it's such a tradition for them that they may backslide if I'm not here to teach it. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's ignites that the, the, the imagination, curiosity. People, people have, again, have never lost their fascination of, of all the popping sounds, the yellow flames, rising sparks, all that, the smoke, the, uh, you know... <laughs> I, I can. My wife come around at fire, and smoke will immediately go her direction. I can sit there, and it never comes my way. But you know, there's no wives' tale about that. Always follows beauty. I said, "Well, I understand why it never bothers me." And he said, "You know, that always happens." Ancient people learned that fire was an amazing, useful tool when contained, but destructive when out of control. Its intensity and its consuming power uh, was useful, yet at the same time it was frightening. And we continue to, to uh, use fire as an instrument of ceremony, communication, and in our modern culture, and the, the Olympic torch, the eternal flames of grave sites, and other examples. 
And God used this force in nature to reveal himself to humanity. The ancient people of the Bible, such as Abel, worshipped God by offering burnt sacrifices to God from their flocks. And many believe God manifested his acceptance of Abel's sacrifice by answering by fire and consuming the sacrifice, just as in the scriptural accounts of later occasions in Leviticus 9 and 2 Chronicles 7 and 1 Kings 18. Abraham and other patriarchs used fire for sacrifices, and the priests used fire as a brazen altar for burnt sacrifices. Fire from the golden candlestick provided light in the holy place, and fire produced a sweet odor on the altar of the incense, and the fire baked the showbread. So everything that was in the tabernacle had something to do with fire. Everything. Uh, Moses was a was a key player in God's self-revelation. And, and most students of the Bible believe, and we all kind of accept the fact that, that he was the one who authored the books of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And he, he not only authored the, the Pentateuch, but he served as a, a prophet, leader, lawgiver, and the theologian. And the Bible says in Deuteronomy 34, and there I, I, I always go back a, a lot of times in Bible reading, everybody should read through their Bible a year, once a year. You should. You should. You should do it. I try to. I get going, and I I go a particular way. But I come back to Deuteronomy a lot because there is so much in Deuteronomy. When you because Deuteronomy is the farewell address of Moses. He's re, he's going back over everything, and you can. It's kind of condensed in Deuteronomy. You can get it all there, of what what happened. But, you know, the fact that the Bible says in Deuteronomy 34, he said, And there arose not a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. It's interesting they said that the Lord knew him face to face, though he never saw the Lord's face. It's interesting. Now, these, these, these five books provide enormous amounts of information about God to the, to the Hebrew people. From the law, they learn what God required of them. Now, follow this, folks. We, we get, people get so confused. You know, the, the Ten Commandments is a delineation of, of, of the law. And, and the Ten Commandments, I remember a, a guy years and years ago, and I first got in church, and I talked to him and, uh, about salvation. He always made this statement every time we started talking. He said, well, I, I, I obey the Ten Commandments. I, and I, I remember I was always nice to a point. And then when I got tired of something, I, I said I said, well, let me ask, why is it the Bible doesn't just have one page with the Ten Commandments? You know, I asked him a question. I said, if that's all there is to it, why doesn't it have one page with the Ten Commandments? Well, I don't know. I said, because there's a whole lot more. I said, that is just a delineation. It brings it, condenses it. But I said, there's more to it. I said, a whole lot more than thou shalt not kill. You know, actually, thou shalt not commit murder. You know, and, and <laughs> won't go there, but, you know, it's, it is. It, that's what it means. And, and you know, that, and, and then you've got to go to the 5th, 6th, 7th chapter of the book of Matthew to be able to really understand the New Testament version of all this. Because Jesus made it harder than the Ten Commandments. And he gave us a way to do it through the Holy Ghost. So anyway, they, they learned you know, what God required them. They learned the seriousness of sin and God's hatred for it. They, they learned how God's punished the disobedient and blessed the obedient. Through, through Moses, the Hebrews learned blood was necessary for atonement. And, you know, it took up until, well, within the last 70, probably 80 years, maybe a little bit more than that, that we really begin to understand the chemistry of the blood. Why did God choose that? Life of the flesh is in the blood. And if you begin to study what the blood really does for a human being, it's amazing. 
that God chose something like this. We have to understand that it's, it's not a nasty thing and people get all, you know, bent out of shape. We start talking about the blood, but blood is life. And life was required when someone sinned. And it, it pointed all the way up to the incarnation of God to where He offered Himself the perfect sacrifice. Once and for all. So, as the author of, uh, well, let, let me tell you. Moses also delivered to them the tabernacle, the sacrificial system, and the, the moral and the civil laws of God. And as the author of Genesis, Moses emerged as the first Hebrew student of God. His writings gave insight into the life and the times of humankind from creation through the times of the patriarchs. Moses captured a large body of human history and the nature and the work of God in relationship to the human race. He captured that in those first five books. You realize how many thousands of years was covered just in the book of Genesis? Just one book. And we all go back. You've heard me say it before. You know, you, uh, similar to a child who learns his, er, an early, his, excuse me, learns his early life history from his parents, Moses gained insight into creation by divine retrospect as God revealed his own history. And I've always believed that's what the cleft of the rock was. That when he was in the cleft of the rock, it wasn't just seeing God's hinder parts. It was seeing God's creation. He saw God's history. And that's why, can you imagine, can you imagine, uh, Adam was up here the other day, Brother Hill, I'm sorry. He was up here the other day uh, teaching on, on, um, on the oneness of God. And, and he was speaking about some, some areas that, that always brought things to my mind. That the, the, the very fact that, that God, you know, I told him, I said, do you realize that just Moses just seeing the history of God, if you please, that his face shone so brightly they had to cover it with a veil. I said that is why God had to come incarnate. He had to cover his glory with human flesh. That's the only thing that can subdue God's glory. Now you think about what I just said. One way or the other. Mankind can subdue God's glory in the negative way. Human flesh can put it down. It really can. It'll never stay down, but human flesh can put it down. And human flesh can embrace it, and it can be the greatest thing on the face of the earth that will give you salvation. Now, you understand what I'm saying? So it's, it's human flesh every way. And, you know, God created us this way. It was the hand of God that created a man who could actually, and his glory could inhabit. Only what God makes really, really works. Only what God makes. You know, we can't fully comprehend the, the tragic fall of humankind until we begin our journey back to God. We, we're fallen people. And we're living in a fallen world. We, we as humans lost intimacy with God and the knowledge of His person in the Garden of Eden. And over the intervening years, God has revealed Himself to humankind again, incrementally. He, he used Moses as one of the tools of revelation to a world that was separated from God. He used him that way. Uh, Moses did not write as a scientist. Uh, if you ever, every time that you see people, you primarily see people that bring up stupid stuff like this, they not everybody goes to college is stupid. I, my wife made me say, I had to qualify that remark or I'll get in trouble. Now, everybody goes to college is stupid. Just a percentage. Robertson's got his idea of the percentage. That's all. Okay? I can't say anymore. You know, he went to college and he's not stupid. But he's Russian and Russians have different ways. So, you know. <laughs> 
But you know, the, when you get to begin to see people say, well, actually they're wrong to a degree. The, the Bible, Moses never intended to write a book of science. The Pentateuch is not a book of science. And you realize, had God decided that, okay, through Moses, I'm going to take the first five books of the Bible. I'm going to show everybody how I created things. Do you think those stupid people back then could have understood it? What if he discussed the atom and the splitting of the atom? <laughs> I mean, they stop and think about it. They couldn't have understood it. It took the time. And, and now, with our knowledge being the way it is, that we can actually look into the Bible and see science that's been fulfilled. You think about that. You know, King Solomon tried to discover the answers to scientific quandaries, but the enormity of the task escaped him. Even with the amazing discoveries of, of modern science, we cannot know and never will know everything under the sun. We are not going to know it all. We know more than previous generations, yet our questions continue to multiply due to the, to the burgeoning knowledge of, of the vast and complex universe. You know, we, there's more knowledge that's gained every year. The Bible says it will do that. Knowledge will increase. And we can't find answers to all of this. God never intended for us to find answers to all of it. This is a book of faith. This is a book of love. This is a, this is a book that we, we know that we can find God, and that's what really matters. I don't have to know how the author did it. I just need to know the author. That's all. It appears God hoped that the inspired account of creation would foster a, a burgeoning relationship with humanity. And therefore, he began with a simple yet profound revelation of the beginning of all things, and especially the birth of humanity. And we learn in Genesis that, that, that God is the source of all things. And we know he simply spoke the light, the firmament, and the oceans and the lands into existence to reveal the power of his word. He created Adam from dust and breathed into him his own divine breath. He used one of Adam's ribs to create a woman and would have become Adam's partner in intimate relationship. Thus the story progressed from a formless void to the beauty and the delight of meaningful relationship. God began a daily communion with his human creation, but it was shattered during the fall. Now, taking that in, in, uh, in context... Let's look at this. Let's go into some of the history of relationships. Now, Moses introduced us to the, the patriarchal families and they disclosed their strengths and triumphs as well as their unfortunate quirks and failures. He wrote about the relationship with spouses, families, people in their context, and their relationship with God. And, and from these narratives, we learn that in spite of our humanity, God's greatest desire is to know us not as mere acquaintances, but as intimate companions. We, do you understand what we are a part of? And I need to keep reiterating that over and over, that we are a part of this. He doesn't want to just be acquainted with you. He wants to know you as intimately as he can. He wants you to depend on him. He wants you to recognize him when you make a mistake or when you fall. He wants, he, he wants to be the first one that you come to. And I'm, I'm going to tell you one thing, folks. He will answer you. He will answer you. He always answers. Always answers. We learn the nature of relationships and what He expects of us in order for, for this human divine relationship to begin and to grow. Now, Moses 
wrote the record as God revealed himself to him. And, and we're blessed that, that Moses wrote his revelation and that the Jews preserved it. Moses' work became a divine textbook for the Hebrew people to learn about God. But merely knowing about God and what he required did not bring the Hebrews into relationship with him. In order to become the people of God, they needed to know and love him. And no one, no one can worm his way into a relationship with God. I'll follow this. Several years ago, uh, I was on, on my boat in uh, St. Augustine. And uh, it was out, I don't know, probably seven or eight miles something of that nature. And uh, in the distance, all over the horizon, you could see this big hump. And then I heard this booms. And I seen the hump move. Heard more booms. And it was a destroyer. A destroyer battleship, one of the two. But it, it, it was moving out there. And all I could see was the top part of it over the horizon. It was a speck. But as that speck come closer, it got bigger and bigger and bigger. And I guarantee you that an 18-foot boat, I wanted to get out of the way of that particular thing. And you know, I couldn't have jumped into the waves and walked over there and got a relationship with that destroyer. Neither can we with God. That ship has to get, it begins with a speck and it gets larger and larger, but you can't make it get closer by you running closer. You have to wait for it to approach you. And it's the same way with God. You cannot make and build a relationship with God on your own power. God is the one who calls you. God is the one who wants a relationship with you. We can't do it on our own. It's God that does it. And He alone. That tiny speck on the horizon has to become increasingly distinct. And the Spirit of God approaches fallen humanity out of eternity's mist and becomes visible more and more magnificent and distinct with each revelation. Each revelation. A lot of you understand exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you started with a revelation of God only through repentance, and that's all you had. And you knew that there was more, so you were baptized in Jesus' name. And I've seen you come out of the water before with a light in your eyes that you never had before. And then I would tell you, or somebody would tell you, if you received the Holy Ghost, it'll even be brighter. And you did, and it was. That's the revelation. Don't, don't be content with a revelation of a speck on the horizon. Don't be, don't, don't be content with that. God knows He wants to do so much more for us. Moses led his sheep through the backside of the desert, and he came upon a burning bush. He'd seen burning bushes before. It wasn't unusual on a dry desert for a bush to just blast into flames because a piece of quartz could reflect the light onto a dried out bush and it would burn. And you'll notice what he said. He said, I seen, I looked at the bush and it was not consumed. That's what got him. You know, I've seen these bushes burn before and they're all consumed, they fall apart and boom, there's nothing there. Now I'm looking at this thing pop and crackle and there's flames coming off of it and it's still there. So he said, I, you know, I, I never see anything like this. And then all of a sudden he hears a voice and he says, I am the, the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. You know, don't draw near unto me. Take off your shoes before you get any closer because you're walking on holy ground. He said, you're holy ground. Now he considered a burning bush 
a theophany, God in angelic form, a different ways that God revealed Himself in the Old Testament is called the theophany. He revealed Himself to him, and he said, I consider this holy ground, even though it's just a bush, it's on fire. But it's a revelation of me. Don't ever take lightly a revelation that you get of God. Don't ever take that lightly. So he said, now, he said, this is what you do. And then some have called this again, this manifestation of theophany. I said it a little earlier. Uh, God appeared to believers in the Old Testament in various physical manifestations. You'll see that throughout the Old Testament. But this manifestation of God in fire astounded Moses. And years later, he wrote this. He said, For ask now of the days that are past which were before thee, since the day that God created man upon the earth, and ask from the one side of heaven unto the other whether there hath been any such thing as this great thing is, or hath been heard like it, that ever... Did ever people hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of a fire as though thou hast heard and lived? Deuteronomy 4.32. So God manifested himself in fire in a number of occasions to the people of Israel. The fire, the smoke, and the thunder on Mount Sinai in Exodus 19. It's a pillar of cloud and fire guiding the Hebrews in the wilderness, Exodus 13. As the fire that consumed the sacrifice for Elijah in 1 Kings 18. For David in 1 Chronicles 21. For Solomon in 2 Chronicles 7. Moses told Israel, for the Lord thy God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God in Deuteronomy 4. He said he is a consuming fire. Now, the very idea of fire conveys several connotations and presents various images in the Bible. Primarily, fire represents the glory of God. We understand the glory of God as a divine attribute that displays God's splendor, His wealth, and royalty as sovereign, creator, and Lord. The idea of fire also illustrates the message of God's judgment against the wicked and His power over nature. That's something else that we have to understand. It, re- it reveals His his power reveals his nature. For centuries, the mystique of fire also has attracted many false religions. The Zoroastrians, one of, the hum- one of humanity's first false religions, worshipped fire. The Canaanite worshipped Baal, and the sun god burned their uh, as sun god and burned their children as sacrifice to him. The Egyptians worshipped the sun uh, sun god. They called him Ra, and they said Pharaoh was, uh, was to accompany the sun god Ra uh, across the the heavens, and his ultimate task was to escort him rather that blazing fireball until he went down on the other side. That was the Pharaoh because they worshipped Pharaoh as a god or the escort of Ra. It was always the fact that it was the, the fire. The Greeks, after the blending of religions by the God-makers in Alexandria, worshipped the, the sun as Zeus. A lot of people don't realize that. They think of Zeus as a guy who throws thunderbolts. But he's not. He was also considered to be the sun god. The guy's thunderbolts from the sun. So he was also the, he was considered. So all of them worship fire in some form. Um, Satan. Satan uses this idolatrous worship of fire to mimic God and to create a counterfeit glory. During the tribulation, the Antichrist will call fire from heaven to convince people of his supernatural powers. Now, isn't it interesting that that's what he desired to call down from heaven? One of the first manifestations of God to mankind was in fire. So he says, I'm calling fire down from heaven. So he, so he attempts to mimic God. But and, you know, we know in the end that Jehovah God will demonstrate himself as the real God of fire who displaces false deities and establishes himself as the one to worship in Matthew 4. 
God supersedes false deities. He is the God of the greatest and the highest order. He is the God of gods, the Lord of lords. Understand that. It is not wrong for people. I mean, it's wrong from heaven, but it's not wrong. and It's non-biblical. People call a lot of things gods. And it is a biblical term, actually, it says that, that they call a lot of things gods. The fact remains that what you and who you worship is the God of all gods because every other God but the one God is a false God. They're all a false God. Now, in saying that they're a false God, does that mean that they don't have any power? No, it does not mean they don't have any power. Satan can He can exert power because God allows him to exert power. If he can exert power and and can can get you all confused and get you to following him, that's exactly what he will do. But the one thing he cannot do, he cannot come in front of a Holy Ghost-filled child of God and exert power that you can't put down in less than a millisecond. Over and over again, I've seen that. You see people who decide they're going to some, some Satan worshiper is going to come to church and bind the service. And what happens? We have the best services that we ever could possibly have. You need to go invite some Satan worshipers to come and we'll have real revival. Why? Because you'll show them that the power they have, whatever they can call down from heaven, is nothing compared to what you have in the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Praise God. Fire is a destructive natural force, sweeping forest fire. Sometimes engulf large areas. Firefighters suffer extreme difficulty trying to quench them. Active volcanoes spew fire and ash, leaving behind miles of blighted and ruined habitats. The human body cannot endure fire. Some burn victims endure intense pain, require skin grafts, and they agonize throughout long months of therapy. These destructive aspects of fire may have caused God to choose it to reveal judgment and Christ. According to 1 Corinthians 3.13, Peter warned in his sermon at Pentecost, And I will show thee wonders in the heaven above and signs in the earth beneath blood and fire and vapor and smoke in Acts 2.19. The fire of God's judgment is a fearful thing. You can consider some of the examples. We can see Sodom and Gomorrah is one of the examples of fire that came down from heaven and destroyed a city because of the unnatural acts that was going on there call them gay. I still have a trouble calling that stuff gay. I cannot. I always thought gay made you happy. This stuff doesn't make me happy a lick. Not one bit. You know, we have to be nice. They're already, you know, they've stopped anybody talking the wrong way about that kind of lifestyle in Canada. If what I just said would get me thrown in jail in Canada. If that ever happens in the United States, the church definitely will go underground. And folks, we're not as far from that as what you think. It's according to what this next uh, election does. That's exactly what it is. And if this next election, uh, unless Congress gets the right people in it, and I'm not saying anything, trying to be good. (laughs) Got it, don't we, sis? You know, it's, it's, it's the fact remains that, you know, that was God poured judgment in fire on a city because of the unnatural acts that was going on. And we have got a world, not just our country, we've got a world that's doing the same thing. How far are we from the rapture of the church and the judgment of God? How far are we? 
And it goes a little bit further with it. In first, or Second Peter three twelve, it said, "Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the Lord of God, uh, Lord, or, excuse me, coming of the day of, of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat." How's God going to destroy the world? The next time He's going to melt the whole elements with a fervent heat. People would looked at uh, would have looked at that seventy five eighty years ago, and they could not have understand how that could happen. But now mankind has created things that can actually do that. And with just a few changes in the molecular structure of what we're breathing here, it can be set on fire. You think of all the crud that's being pumped in, and I'm not a green person, you understand it, but I also understand that mankind is pumping a whole lot of stuff into the atmosphere. You don't go try to preach in the Philippines outside. You can preach there outside for 30 minutes and die of lung cancer. I'm serious, it's that bad, you can't hardly breathe there. And it, it's so bad, and we're pumping that into. So what, what's to say that's not part of God's plan for the destruction of this world? God can do it all without anything. He doesn't need any help. But I'm saying it's possible. And we need to get out of our complacency and begin to realize just how close it is. I can have the promises of God because God is getting ready to come back for His people and pass judgment on a world that is completely out of control. And then ultimately we see the earth destroyed by fire. We see Sodom and Gomorrah. Then we see the lake of fire. The ultimate eternal place of punishment is called the lake of fire. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That's an interesting scripture right there because just a a few scriptures above it, it says that he can take your name out of the book of life. And that sure knocks the time out of people who believe in eternal security. If he could take my name out of the book of life, then I'm not eternally secure. That means that I can be lost after I'm saved. Don't ever fall for that. Do not ever fall for that. Thank God that we we can be saved and we can live the kind of life that we need to live to be saved. I don't want to wind up in the lake of fire. And the lake of fire will be that final destination of the wicked. The Bible clearly states the wicked shall endure Eternal punishment. And and Revelation 20.10 confirms this and points to the beast and the false prophet still burning in the lake of fire after a thousand years of the Lord's millennial reign. They were still there burning. Eternity. Eternity. But not only in judgment, but in salvation we see fire that is used. Cloven tongues as of fire set upon each of them. So the fire of the Holy Ghost comes in and it purges an individual. I've always believed that, that and this is just me and I'll say that, that, that when a person repents, sin is like leeches hanging on the outside of them. They're dead, but they're still there. So you go into the water on the name of Jesus and they all fall off. That's the reason you've got to clean that thing ever so often. You ever realize, I have seen that nasty when it's full of sin, especially some people. Nasty. <laughs> but then what about the inside? What do you got hanging there? What's still there? You know, you've you, you repented. You've killed it. But I think it takes a Holy Ghost to purge it. It just burns out everything that's inside. And let's just be honest. We know that every so often, that's why it's good to come down and get a renewing of the Holy Ghost every so often to repurge the inside. That's what it does. It continues. 
And the Bible talks about the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Because I need to be purged ever so often. That's why you get a good preacher. You feel all condemned out there. You know, somebody feeling condemned. And you feel that you need to come down the altar and, and, and get renewed in the Holy Ghost. Speaking tongues all over again. And that purges all that crud out of you. Or you walk around condemned all the time. Ah. Well, we're getting there. We're getting there. Now, we talked about the fire. Now, God has revealed himself. I'm going to finish with this. Has revealed himself as a deliverer from the fire of punishment. An Old Testament example of this occurred when the three Hebrews refused to bow to the image of the Babylonians. The king ordered them to be cast into the fiery furnace, but God miraculously delivered them. The smell of smoke did not cling to their clothing. Paul wrote, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we don't have to be worried about any of the fire of judgment if we're where we need to be. Because Jesus is going to take us out of here before any of it happens. I'm sorry, folks, if you believe you're going to be down here, that means you, you believe you're going to have the smell of smoke on you. You hear me? That's exactly what that means. You're going to have the smell of smoke. Oh, I don't believe God's going to judge me, but I'll see it. But that means that you're going to see other people judge, and that means you're going to have the smell of smoke on you. Well, you go ahead and get the smell of smoke. I'll be up there having a time in the Holy Ghost. Have a new body, no more pain. Oh, hallelujah. No more sorrows. Oh, that's even more hallelujah. I mean, you ever stop and think how wonderful that's going to be? Yeah, stop and think about it just for a minute. I mean, all of us have to endure sorrows just to think, to go to a place and for eternity, no more sorrows. Our brains, our, our minds has got to be completely altered when we get up there. No more men, no more women. No more people having to beat buzzards away with clubs. <laughs> Stand with me. Let's come early tonight and pray. Let's have a good time in the Holy Ghost tonight. What do you say? I think God's people should enjoy every time they come together. We should enjoy the presence of God. We should allow Him just to move freely amongst us. We should allow Him to just move freely amongst us. I, I'm a Jack. Can I can I tell him all about you? All right. Jack says I can. I can. He came, he came over to the house last week, and he'd been having some pain right in here. And he, uh, he went to the doctor, and they checked him out. They said he had a mass on top of his pancreas. They'd done an x-ray, I believe. And so we prayed for him. And, I, and I, you know, I, he still has some things to do, but we, we prayed for him. And I really felt good about, you know, the prayer. I felt God, God had touched him. And, uh, but, you know, all of us, we have those concerns. He came in this morning, and he said that he's got a uh, yeah, daughter-in-law that uh, um, works for a doctor, and they took his, his scan in, and he said he didn't see the same thing that everybody else seen in that scan. And they did blood work, and they found no sign of cancer. His pancreas was working good. All of these things was working, you know, working good. Now... As doctors do, they're going to, he's going to go into a specialist Wednesday at IMA. And that's when he came down. That was just prayer. That was just, God's already done the work. What we're doing is just, we're just, just keeping the flow going. That's what we're doing. And the faith going. You know, 
Don't go up to Jack and tell him about your great aunt Jojo dying of pancreatic cancer. Will you hear me? Okay, don't do that. Just continue uh, because this, this thing's working out to God's glory, you know, and that's exactly what it's going to do. All right, raise your hands to the Lord right now together. Father, we thank you for your blessings. I ask God now that you would help us, strengthen us, be with us, Jesus, in every way. Touch and strengthen us and let us know, God, that you are the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And God, we believe in you and we're standing with you always. We ask it now in Jesus' name, Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. All right. Come in tonight rejoicing. You're dismissed.